Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, brother, and thank you for your singing today. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 7. Um, Luke chapter 7 this morning, and we're moving into another chapter in the book of Luke. Um, There are certain chapters, and as you know, if you're here, if you attend here, on a regular basis, you know that we, I do a lot of preaching through books. I, I really just believe the Lord is to, would direct us to do that. And so a lot of times when I'm getting ready to preach through a book, there will be a certain passage or a certain chapter that I really look forward to getting to. Well, that's the case with the book of Luke. There's, every chapter is, is marvelous, but I love Luke 7. Um, in Luke chapter 7, we're going to see some of the greatest displays of Jesus Christ what I like to refer to as compassionate power. And we'll see one of some of those. We're going to see one of those this morning. And so let's read together. You follow along, please. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 10 of Luke 7. Now when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And a certain centurion servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and hath built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, Trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned him about, and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful for this time we can spend in thy word. There's so much that we can learn and that we need to learn from the scriptures, and I pray today for the help of the Holy Spirit, Father, to rightly divide the word of truth, and just, again, as we look at this, just sweet, precious passage of scripture, we pray that that you would work in our hearts, that we might respond to the word of God like we ought to, and even uh, conduct our, our earthly lives more and more like thou would have us to. And so guide us, Lord, and again glorify thyself and magnify Christ, even in this message this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. As you can see from the verse 1, this is a continuation. Uh, chapters, chapters and verses are in the scriptures to help us find our place. Um, and, but in this particular case, there is no break really in the action from chapter 6. It says, when he had ended all his sayings in the audience of the people. So he just finished speaking the things that we just concluded last Sunday with the end of 
uh, verse uh, chapter 6. And I want to call your attention, remind you very quickly, I just have a couple things written down, that it says that Jesus had spoken in the audience of the people. And as we mentioned before, he started speaking to his disciples first and the blessings, and then other people came along and he began to address the multitude, the people. And in these those sayings, to the people, really starting in verse 27, when he said, Ye that hear. And so he's trying to, you know, capture the attention of those who wanted to hear. So they had a heart to learn the truth. And there were those in Jesus' day. Not everybody turned a deaf ear. And so these are some of the things that he said. Do good. Love your enemies. Pray for them which despitefully use you. Lend, hoping for nothing again. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. And so on. He said many of those things to uh, tell people um, what followers of Christ would have the privilege to do. All right? He's not talking about the way to be saved. He's talking about if you're going to be a follower of the Lord Jesus. And again, I, I keep saying over and over, I can't, but I can't help but repeating that the word hear means to hear, to receive, to believe, and obey. So he's talking to those who had a heart to believe, and perhaps some of them probably already had believed in him. So that's important in the context. And so we go to chapter 7. It says our, our dear Savior practicing what he preached. Now he talked about being merciful, loving, compassionate. And so in chapter 7 he's going to show that. And so in this chapter we'll see the great compassionate power of Jesus Christ. And again, these things are written for our learning, uh, that we might that it might teach us, those of who are saved, it might teach us how, we, how what we are to do as Christ's followers. And so, the title for today's message is found in um, verses verse um, six, when he says, "Lord, trouble not thyself, Lord," and then say in a word. Verse 7. No, Jesus, the man said to Jesus, you don't even have to come to the house. You don't have to touch him. You don't have to do anything. All you have to do is say the word, and he will be healed. And so we'll talk about that when you get to it. But anyway, let's take a look. The first thing today about the centurion. Notice the, the, the centurion's sick servant. All right, chapter 7, verse 1. Now, when he, when he had ended all his sayings in the eyes of the people, he entered into Capernaum. And as you, as you we find, as you read through uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Lord Jesus went to Capernaum quite often. In fact, it seemed to be the headquarters of his Galilean ministry. Now, just something that's to me is really interesting about Capernaum, the, the, the name Capernaum, means village of Nahum. Village of Nahum, or town of Nahum, was located on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. Um, this city is mentioned at least 16 times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it is quite certain that Capernaum was named after the prophet Nahum. And what was Nahum famous for? He prophesied the destruction of Nineveh about 50 years before it happened. Remember, God sent Jonah to Nineveh, and the Bible says they believed God, they repented, and so God turned away the judgment, and there was a revival, if you will, in the city of Nineveh, which lasted for about 150 years or so. 
and then Nineveh went back to its old ways and God sent the prophet Nahum to prophesy against them but this time there was no chance of repentance and God destroyed the city of Nineveh um, in the late in the early 600s BC and so because of that obviously many people of Israel knew about Nineveh and they didn't like Nineveh and Nineveh was cruel to them and so they named the town after the prophet Nahum. Now I want you to notice something else um, in Luke chapter 10. Let's go there for just a moment. Arrogance mentions something that Jesus would say later um, about the city of Capernaum. Chapter 10 of Luke is when the Lord was going to will send out 70 more servants to go two by two. And so in the course of that, uh, the Lord Jesus begins to rebuke some cities. And one of those is C Capernaum. Look at Luke 10:15, And it says, And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shall be thrust down to hell. So Capernaum exalted to heaven. What is he talking about? Well, the fact that Jesus Christ himself was there several times. But obviously the city did not receive him. They rejected him. And so the Lord said their, you know, their judgment was going to be hell. And I could not help but think that of the history of the United States of America. And how our nation has been exalted in the past. And there's been great things in our country. There's been, you know, preaching. Now, some of the, some of the men of God down through the centuries um, were in America. You know, and they preached. And there were churches. And there, was, there were schools. And all these things established. And God's blessing was upon America. And what's happening? What's happened in the last decades? There's been a great turning away in our nation. A great turning away from God. And you know, there's a principle that Jesus also said, to whom much is given, of him shall much be required. And so, um, you know, I really think in this day and age that we need to beg God, you know, for some for a revival and, and help us to stand for the Lord and, and help us to be faithful to him um, regardless of what's going to happen. Because, you know, there's obviously God's word says... All the wicked shall be turned into hell. The wicked shall be turned into hell. And all the nations that forget God. And, you know, it can't, you know we're, we're, no, we're no special. We, we don't have any special promise that we're always going to exist. That we're always, things are always going to be great. Um, because we, we're following a lot of other nations in history. Um, do you know, one of the great nations historically as far as missions and churches and preaching was the country of England. England was one of the first countries. I mean, there was, there, there's been these history, there's been these cycles all through the years and, and there were centuries when there was basically no missionary effort and it was William Carey who stood up in England and shared his burden for the lost and to start missionary work up again. And he was told by an older preacher, sit down, young man, sit down and be quiet. If God decides to save the heathen, he'll do it without your help or mine. So there was an anti-missionary spirit. Well, why, how can that be? 
greatest command to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel has never been received. But anyway, so William Carey did not let that discourage him. In fact, he became more determined. He's been he's known as the father of modern missions. And missionaries by the hundreds over the over the course of years left England to go all over the world to preach the gospel. Charles and John, John and Charles Wesley came to America from England. George Whitfield came to America during the Great Awakening and, and came to America and preached. Where's England today? Where are they? It's about as barren a country as there are there is in the world. Why? Because they turned away. They, the, the heritage they had. They rejected it. And so, as Jesus said about Capernaum, he said the same thing about Chorazin and Bethsaida and places like that. And, you know, that what, because they failed to listen. Verse 16, oh, we're still in Luke 10 for just a moment. He that heareth you, heareth me. Now he's talking to his the 70 as he's getting ready to send them out. He that heareth you, heareth me. And he that despiseth you, despiseth me. And he that despiseth me, despiseth him that sent me. It's interesting. There are religions out there who claim to be godly, but they deny Christ. What did Jesus say? If you despise him, you despise God. Anyway, so there's a warning there. There's a warning. Let's go back to Luke chapter 7. So we need to seriously pray and we need to live and, and, and really, really be burdened for the Lord's work and for the lost. And um, one of the reasons I love Isaac Watts' hymns, there's always, a, there's always a, a verse or two about surrender, about giving in to the Lord, about giving everything to him. And we certainly need to be reminded of that today. Well, let's go back and we're at Capernaum. And so um, verse 2 says this, the, A certain centurion's servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. So the, the centurion, centurion was a soldier, was in the Roman army, and he was in charge of a hundred men. Okay? So this very likely was a Gentile, no doubt about it. This was a Gentile man. And this is a first for the Lord Jesus, all right? But anyway, he, his, this man has a servant, and it's a bond servant or a slave, and this, this man was dear unto him, all right? And he was sick, and he was ready to die. In other words, he was about to die. He was, he was deathly ill, all right? And we have Jesus... The centurion, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews. And so he sent some of the Jewish leaders, men with authority in the nation, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. Very interesting. He's going to have a change of heart here in just a, in just a little bit. But now he's asking them to have Jesus come and heal his servant. I want you to notice something about this. Verse 4, And when they came to Jesus, so these, these elders of Israel, these Jewish people, who naturally, that, that I don't think we can understand or appreciate, who naturally hated the Gentiles. It wasn't, it wasn't right. It wasn't God's will. But they were against the Gentiles. But they came, and it says this, they besought him instantly there 
in verse number 4. simply means they, they pleaded earnestly. And the word earnestly is the idea of earnestly, but it's also the idea of, of, of wholeheartedly. In other words, they really, they really wanted to convey this message to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says this, notice what they said. They said, for Jewish people to say this, they said, saying that he was worthy. In other words, he deserves this favor. That he was worthy for whom he should do this. Verse 5, for he loveth our nation and hath built us a synagogue. Imagine that. This centurion, this Gentile Roman soldier. You know, I don't, I don't think I have to tell you what you have to do. What, you know, a centurion is not just like a newly enlisted private. You know, here's a guy that's pretty high up in the army, and so he knows what it means to fight in war and and to really be a sissy <laughs> or anything like that. And yet, this this is great, folks. I I mean, I. I I don't think I can overdo this, but just imagine this man. He loveth our nation. Typical Roman, right? No. Typical government? No. The Romans didn't love Israel. They hated them. They took advantage of them. You, you know that. Well, well, while Jesus was on the earth, as you know, the Roman Empire was in power. And in the book of Daniel, they're, they're depicted prophetically as the kingdom of iron. What, what was Rome known for? They were known for their army. They were known for their power. They were known for their cruelty. I mean, you've read, you've read, you've read articles. You've seen things about how they used to feed Christians to the lions and that sort of thing. So here's a soldier. Here's a centurion. An officer in the Roman army. And the comment is this. He loves our nation. And he's built us a synagogue. tell you, folks, that's, that's amazing. He had a love for Israel. Do you love Israel? Right, do you? <laughs> I love Israel. We're going to look at a psalm at the end of the message about why we should love Israel. All right? You know, if you, if you listen to the wrong news, which you know a lot of it is, um, you're going to get a slanted view of Israel. They're blamed for everything. It's, it's not true. The media doesn't have, they have not a clue. Maybe they do, and they just deliberately are not telling the truth. Um, but anyway, this man loved the nation. And how did he prove he loved them? Because he built them a synagogue. And that was perfectly fine. Because, you know, people couldn't always get to Jerusalem. And so they were required to go three times a year, and that was still in force. But in the meantime, they would worship in the synagogues. And by the way, the Lord Jesus Christ was in the synagogue. If he was not, if he was in Jerusalem, he was in the temple on the Sabbath day, or any other days that were that he that Jewish people were required. And when he was on the when he was traveling around, which was most of the time, he would go to the synagogue wherever it was. Right. Now, so, notice the second thing is the centurion's astute declaration, right? In other words, he showed some real wisdom. In verse number six, then Jesus went with them. So he started going. He's sure he's going to go and heal this man, servant. And when he 
was not, when he was now not far from the house, and I don't know what happened in the centurion's heart and mind, but he, he sent another group of messengers. He said the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, and then you might, you might want to underline that in your mind, if not in your Bible. He said unto him, Lord, that's a tremendous thing for anybody in that, at that point. Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. You know, the word worthy here, more than meaning many deserving, this particular word, translated worthy, means sufficient, considerable, or appropriate. He considered his status as a Gentile sinner not deserving of Christ's visit. Now again, he probably may not have understood the Lord's great compassion, but he saw himself as a Gentile. He saw himself as a soldier. He saw himself as a Roman. And he's thinking, I, I, I don't deserve it. I'm not, I'm not worthy to associate. I'm not, it's not appropriate. And so he thought. And so he said this, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof, wherefore neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee. Is that a bad thing or a good thing? To cons- for one per- a person to consider himself unworthy to come before the Lord. <laughs> you better believe it's a good thing, right? Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus said, or the Bible, Paul wrote, all of sin come short of the glory of God. So it has nothing to do with us being worthy. If we had to be worthy, we're all left out. But Christ paid the penalty to bring reconciliation to God. So he was correct in what he was saying. Um, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, so let's just forget about it. I guess my servant will just have to die. Is that, no, that's not what he said. He said something even greater. He said, but say the word, and my servant shall be healed. Lord, just say a word. And if you read through the Gospels, you will find that the Lord Jesus used several different means. Did he not? He didn't always heal the same exact way, did he? Sometimes he just said, be cleansed. Remember the blind man, he he made clay, he spit in some dirt and made clay and put it on his eyes and said, go wash. So he he did things not always the same. And one of the reasons was to show, obviously, that he had power. He could use any means, and and there's a whole there's a whole thing about Bible miracles. And sometimes God Himself would just speak, and other times He would use means. All right, you know, for example, when Jesus fed the multitude, He could have just said, you know, be filled. He could have just created food, but you know what? He used that little boy's lunch. Sometimes God used the wind or used different things to perform his miracles. Other times he just spoke. All right? Now, and uh, when we were in Canada, we had a little discussion about creation. And this word just blows my mind when people who are saved have a hard time believing God spoke the universe into existence. All right? Um, he spake and it was done. He commanded it and it stood fast. So when it came to all the universe, right? The planets, the stars, the earth, the angels, 
spoke into into existence the trees, the birds, the you know the flowers, the grass, everything. And yet, when it came to man, God used me. God took some dirt. That should you know that should humble us, right? God made us out of dirt. Okay, He made us from the dust of the ground and breathed. And there's a miracle still. He 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 breathed into his nostrils. And so. Uh, it's just fascinating to study, to read about the miracles of the Bible and see how God did different things, all right? But then here, the centurion's request is just, just say the word, say a word. My servant shall be healed. Now here's what he said, here's how he, here's what he, the, how he reckoned that and, and how, you know, why he had confidence. He said this, verse 8, For I also am a man set under authority, obviously. In the Roman system, the Roman army, there were men over him. He had his superiors. But he also had men under him. This is, look what he says, very simple, right? Faith, faith, simple faith. He said, look, I am a man set under authority, have me under me soldiers. I have men under my authority. And I say unto one, go, and he goeth. In other words, I give, I give an order to one of my men, and I tell him to go, and he goes. And, and what's implied here is that he doesn't, he doesn't have to check on it. He just knows this man's going to go. And to another, come, and he cometh. In other words, you go... And he does, right? And to my servant, do this. And he doeth it. So what's he implying here? If people are under my authority, you are a greater authority. Lord, you have, you have all authority. And he said... Just say the word. Say the word. All right. The centurion's faith rewarded. Verse 9. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. Not marvel there doesn't mean he was surprised. <laughs> like, oh, I didn't know. No, he, he was, he, not that he was surprised, but it's, it's the idea that he, he wondered and he expressed wonder. In other words, it, he was greatly complimenting this man for his faith. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned him about. See, there's all these people following. Turned him about because why were they, by the way, why were they following him? Because they wanted to see the miracle. <laughs> but remember, what's, what's, where's Jesus heading? He's heading to the centurion's house. And then he gets stopped. He gets met by other messengers, friends. And so, um, this is the message from the centurion. And so he says, he turned around and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, listen up. In other words, when, when, he, when Jesus prefaced a statement with something like this, he's saying, pay attention. This is worth hearing. I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. So the people of Israel who were supposed to be the people of God. And these Gentiles who aren't even supposed to be the people of God. 
Now understand I'm saying that with qualifications, that because God loves the world, according to John 3.16, and Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, whether it's Jew or Gentile. But that's not, you know, that hadn't gotten out yet. Even though, you know, there were some who understood that. Way back when Jesus was born, when he was eight days old, they brought him to the temple to present him to the Lord. And remember there was a man there named Simeon, the old believer, part of the remnant of God. And what did he do? He, he, took, him, he took the child up in his arms and he said, Now, Lord, let, thou, let, let us thou thy, thy servant depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. I want to get it. Let me, get, get that, let me turn there. I want to turn there so we get it exactly right what Simeon said. Um, here it is. By the way, the Holy Ghost was upon this man, Simeon. So he was, he was just devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, right? waiting for Messiah. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. He's one of the remnant Isaiah talked about. And it, it was revealed to him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. In other words, at that very moment, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. All right, so there were those that understood that. I think Abraham did. God said, in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. David understood that. And Sarah understood that. Um, but it wasn't understood by very many people of Israel in those days. And so here's an example. I mean, everything that Jesus said and everything that he did was an example, was to teach something to the people. And here, I mean, there's no, the lesson here is this. Gentiles can have faith in me, Jesus is saying. I'm here for them too. And they that were sent, notice, re, uh, uh, Luke 7.10, and they that were sent returned to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. So he said to Jesus, he just said, just say the word. And they, they, and they returned. That was sufficient. They were, they were satisfied. They saw Jesus. They relayed the message. They turned him back. And when they got back, they found the servant whole that had been sick. So Christ, again, demonstrates that he can heal by touch or by word. By word only. And I want to just make a couple, give, leave a couple thoughts with you in, in closing. Turn to Psalm 122. We're going to read that in a moment. But I want to just mention a couple things. Um, we think of the word of Christ, and it was powerful. And as we go through the book of Luke, we're going to see examples of Jesus Christ showing power. I mean, here in Luke 7, the first part, he shows power over disease, over illness. As we go through the book of Luke, we're going to see him have power over demons and have power over nature and power over several things. And we think about that power and, there, and so on. And I wonder sometimes, you know, we, we think about the words of Christ as they're recorded for us. And yes, it's powerful. But folks, this, is, this whole thing is the word of God. 
powerful. Now, can we, can we trust the Word of God in a measure the same way that that centurion did? Just say the Word. Or with us, you have said the Word. This is what your Word says. And I don't care what society says. I don't care what anybody says. This is what your Word says. You know, the Word of God says Christ is coming back. And people make fun of that. I've had people mock the fact to my face that, oh, you're one of these, you're one of these weirdos that thinks Jesus is coming back. You know, um, oh yeah, I'm, I'm one of those weirdos. Yeah, absolutely guilty, guilty, guilty. Um, people talk about, you know, saving the earth. They talk about man's going to destroy the world if we don't watch out and all that. And, and we believe that the Word of God, the Word of God says it's not going to happen. The Bible says God is preserving. You know that? Second Peter chapter 3. God is keeping the heaven and earth in store. This, this heaven and this earth has an appointment with God. And God says in Second Peter 3, He is going to purge the heaven and earth. He's going to burn the heavens and earth and make a new heaven, a new earth. You want to get lost at? You try talking, you tell that to the climate changers and the environmentalists and the save the earth people and all these other, you know, fuzzy people out there. Um, They're going to, they're going to, and I've heard, I've heard people mock it. I've heard people mock it. I've heard leaders of our country saying that those who believe Christ is coming back and that the earth can't be saved and the earth is going to be made new. I heard, I heard one lady, woman, say they are the most dangerous people in this country. Alright, so there you go. If you believe that stuff, I believe that, we're, we're dangerous. Alright? We're dangerous to society. That's okay. I'd rather be dangerous to society than be in rebellion against God. And so he's coming. And the word of God is true. That's my point. We can trust God's word. All right. Now, interesting too. You know, when after Jesus died and he rose again, he met with his disciples and he went back to heaven. You know, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down upon the believers and the gospel began to be proclaimed. All right. And chapter seven, Stephen is stoned to death. Chapter eight, they, the persecution comes. Everybody's scattered abroad, preaching the word of God. Right? And the word begins to spread through the world. Acts chapter 10. Peter is sent. Who's he sent to? In Acts chapter 10. Who did God send Peter to? Go ahead. Somebody say it. Anybody know? Who did who, who God send Peter to? Right. Cornelius. Who, 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 what was Cornelius? <laughs> He's a centurion. He was in the Italian band. That's not talking about the army orchestra. Now that's talking about a group of soldiers. And I thought about that. Why? How can, why? Why was one of the first miracles recorded of Jesus, it's not the first one, but why one of a centurion? Why was Peter, of all the places that he could be sent, why was Peter sent to a centurion? Well, the the first answer to that is because the centurion was a man who believed in God. He was another one who loved Israel. You can look it up yourself. Acts 10. Gave much alms to the people. Right? There's several reasons. I want us to think about have you ever, I mean I have several people right here in this congregation who served in the military. You know, I've had guys, especially, I don't, think, I don't think I've ever had any ladies, but I've had guys 
with tears in their eyes, said to me, Pastor Myers, there, I, I, I don't think there's any hope for me. I've killed people. I said, what? I've killed people. I was in the army. I was in the Marines. I was in the war. I killed people. The Bible says, thou shalt not kill. And I've been told that there's no hope for me. So, how do I answer? When somebody, and it's happened more than once, believe me, there's people who think that they've, they've really messed up and that it's a sin to be in the army, it's a sin to kill people. You know why? Because there's cults out there that teach that. Like your witnesses. They tell you it's a sin to be in the military, all right? I've had them tell me that. Anyway, so what do I do? Well, I take them to the centurion in, in Luke 7, and I take them to the centurion in Acts 10. And I take them to other scriptures. To fight in the war, to defend your country, is not a sin, and it's not a violation of the commandment, thou shalt not kill. In fact, people, if people would read the Bible a little bit more, they would see where, where Moses explains. Remember those chapters, devoted to what is the, how does that apply, thou shalt not kill. And it talks about premeditated murder. doesn't say anything about war. All right? In fact, God would never contradict himself, right? He sent Moses, he sent Joshua, he sent, uh, he sent soldiers. All right. And you know that, but maybe you can use, maybe someday you'll be, you'll talk to somebody. And they're really, they're really just, I mean, I've talked, again, I've talked to guys that are just nearly broken up. I mean, um, so anyway, Psalm 122. So, anybody, so, so the fact that the scripture records Christ dealing with soldiers, by the way, according in, in Matthew 3 and in Luke, when, the, when John the Baptist began his ministry, people came to him and said, what shall we do? Because John said, bring forth, no, repent, repent, kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, bring forth fruit, worthy repentance, in other words, demonstrate your repentance. Now, get, now understand, those works were not repentance, but, but John said, bring forth fruit that shows you have repented. And among those who came were soldiers. What should we do? Get out of the army. No, he didn't say that. He said, don't be violent. You know, in other words, don't torture people. Don't, you know, don't use your position for, you know, to, to torment people. And be content with wages. And so anyway, um, and then of course back in the, in the, in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel, there's a list of David's mighty men. Alright? Okay. So Psalm 122. I want to read this and then we're done. Um, some of it. <clears throat> First of all, I'm going to read the whole thing. It's a short psalm. You might have noticed in the bulletin it's today's scripture for today. Psalm 122, verse 1, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. That's a, I love that. What a verse, right? By the way, in, in David's day, all they had was the tabernacle. Some synagogues too, but anyway. Our feet shall stand within the gates of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together. Where do the tribes go up? The tribes of the Lord into the testament of Israel to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. For there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. See them? So these... David writes about this house, and by the way, Song of Degrees is what they sang as they marched into the tabernacle and so on. Pray, here's verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. 
They shall prosper that love thee. See, that, that's, the law hasn't been revoked. I don't see a place in the New Testament that says we should change our attitude toward Israel. All right? They shall prosper that love thee. Remember the promise? God said, I will bless him that blesseth thee and curse him that curseth thee. And you can mark it down. It's, it's right there in history. Every nation that's gone against Israel has, and I'm talking about in the past, you ever heard of Egypt and Assyria and Babylon and Medo-Persia and, you know, how about Germany? What, you know, what Hitler tried to do to the people of, of, of Israel. What happened? Where's Germany today? All right? Anyway, so here's what he says. They shall prosper and love thee, peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions' sakes, I will now say, peace be within thee. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. All right, now, so, why should we love Israel? We can, we can broaden the application. Well, because of the house of the Lord our God. You know, in the New Testament, Paul very clearly says in 1 Timothy 3, 15, that the New Testament church is now the house of God. All right, it's the house of the Lord, the church of the living God. So how do we get the church? Well, we got it through Jesus Christ, all right? So through Israel, through the prophecies, and through Jesus coming. So therefore, we ought to pray for the nation of Israel. And I do that, and I thank God often for the promises God has made to Israel. But they exist today because of the promises of God. And he's protecting them, preserving them to the, for the day when they will turn back to Christ. And so this, those, both of those two centurions, they, they were marvelous men in that setting because they both supported Israel. Well, people say, oh, I can't be a Christian where I work. <laughs> oh, yeah? How did the centurion manage to stand for the Lord and, and, ble and, and bless Israel work, working for the Romans, right? It can be done. We need to. All right, well, let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the time we can have in thy word today. Thankful for these examples. We're thankful for Jesus, most of all, and his power and compassion and preaching. Thankful for the centurion and his faith in thee, and for the one, for Cornelius um, in Acts 10. And, and Father, for men down through the centuries, um, even in our history, there were generals and, and army men and, and so on that, that were Christians and who loved the Lord, and we're thankful for that. And, and Lord, we're thankful for the military who, who protect us today, and what a, what a difficult job they have. And, and uh, we would pray, we pray for the military chaplains and who have the word of God and those who are standing true to the gospel, to the word of God. Bless them and use them greatly today. And Father, we ask that you would help us in our lives to follow the word of God. Help us to have faith and trust the word in whatever it says. And Father, thanks for this time we can have together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's take our um, hymn books and we'll sing, I guess we'll sing without the piano for the closing hymn. Um, am I a soldier of the cross? I forgot the question mark. Am I a soldier? 414. Again, as you, as you know, the, the scriptures, the New Testament also uses military warfare terms and so on. Talks about the armor of God and all these things. And so please stand. Number 414. I think about that centurion in Luke. I think about Cornelius. And these men, yes, they were 
literally military men, but they were soldiers for God. Cornelius and his whole household. I love that story of Cornelius, don't you? While he waited for Peter, he went around the neighborhood and got everybody together <laughs> and said, hey, come on, we're gonna, a man's coming, a man Peter, he's coming to tell us how to get right with God, how to be saved, right? When was the last time you invited somebody to come here to hear the word of God? All right, let's sing. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause, or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease? While others fought to win the prize, and still through blood he sees. Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stand the flood? Is this my bosom friend to grace to help me on to God? Sure, I must fight if I would win. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil and through the pain, supported by thy word. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this day and for the opportunity to be here. We thank thee for the great hymns that we can sing. Certainly we're thankful for the life and ministry of Isaac Watts and what a blessing his writings and, and continue to be in music. We're thankful most of all for the word of God and for the truth of it, the power of it. We're thankful for Christ, our Savior. Lord, I pray that thou would draw us all closer to thee. Father, help us even as we leave this place. And we do pray for any who, who may be here and are not, have not yet trusted in Christ. Lord, please bring conviction upon them and watch over us this afternoon and we pray thy blessing on the service tonight we pray for continued healing for those of our our church family who are not feeling well today and so we just ask you father to, to do great things and we pray these things in christ's precious name amen